So I don't know how many jobs you guys have worked over your uh, professional careers. Caleb's basically like fresh out of high school still in my mind. So I know that he <laughs> doesn't up, have as, as many uh, under his belt as I do. But I do want to bring up, because we're talking about second career truckers today, I want to talk about your worst job that you've ever had. And the one thing I love about this topic is everybody's got one. Even if it's the only job you've had, it's probably the worst one you've had for one reason or another. And uh, you can always look back and say, well, this one was better than that one. So I'm going to save mine because I, I want to know what Caleb's got to offer here because you're you're such a nice dude and you get along so well with just everything. I can't see you having a bad day at work. So tell me about your worst oh, job, Caleb. Man. By far, this is my least favorite job. I'm just kidding. Um, my, <laughs> I am pretty young. Uh, How I've, dare you? I probably had like five or six like actual jobs, I would say. But I did work a minimum wage job at a diner here in Omaha where I had to wake up at like 5 a.m. on the weekends, uh, which was not fun like if I was partying out the night before. But Caleb in high school really wasn't partying. So yeah, I was going to say, bad. how many times did that actually affect you? Or was it just the thought that it might someday that you like to think about? I would like to think that it did affect me, but it really didn't. I, I was in bed by 10 or 11 at the latest on weekends. So no worries, mom and dad. But the food at this diner was really good. But it's like once you spend enough time around it, you just never want to eat there again because you see it all the time and you see how it's made and you smell it. And I, I just can't enter that restaurant anymore like without just being like, I don't want to eat anything. It makes me want to like throw up. But I did work another job at a furniture store and it was a dollar over minimum wage. So I know, really making it big there. Ooh. Big spender. I, I, I know, big spender. Uh, you know that though. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was a rug boy. I basically carried what huge ass. Yeah. So I basically carried huge ass rugs to people's cars. I rearranged rugs and I rolled and unrolled rugs. Oh my gosh, the number of rug burns and cuts and lotion that I went through <laughs> in that job was insane because rugs are just such a rough surface to deal with sometimes. Well, especially the underside of them. Oh yeah, that's- So scratchy. And so that's the side you'd carry a lot of the times because the way you transfer rugs is like, you have the like the nice part of the rug inside, so you transfer the scratchy part that way. So the worst was when like a customer bought a rug the size of Antarctica, and you had to move it to the truck and deliver it on a hundred degree day. It just was an awful job, and I am so glad that I never have to do that again. Maria, do you have any jobs like that? Before you answer, Maria, I have a few questions, as you might imagine. <laughs> First of all, I have when you said rug guy, I was like, uh, the first thing that came to my mind is minimum wage employee. You and your friends are rolling yourselves up in those rugs once in a while, right? Just for funsies, <laughs> like roll it up and have them flip you. Okay, tell us the story. So I, I that that ha did happen, um, <laughs> and the owner of the store actually caught us in the act of that one time, which was not an ideal event, but I got like two of my other really good friends to work there, and so it was. That was the best part of it, but the shifts were so stinking long. They were like 10-hour shifts of just lifting rugs and moving them back Ten and forth. 10-hour rug shifts? I know. And like when you're standing for that long and just moving these huge-ass rugs, it is it is exhausting. That sounds so exhausting. <laughs> just be glad that I didn't ask the question that had to do with why you were going through so much lotion at that point in time in your life. Maria, <laughs> Shut what up. do you have for us? We all thought it. Well, um, to continue on the furniture store situation, um, I never worked at a furniture store, but I worked 
in a furniture store. It was an old furniture store that uh, is in my town and they set up one of those Halloween cities in there. So it's all like temporary walls. Everything's pegboard. You're hanging up all these costumes that you know are going to be stolen in the next five hours. Um, And so you have the dressing rooms, which I was in charge of most of the time, and none of the employees stick around. I don't know if either of you have ever worked at a temporary position like that, but no one cares about those positions. And I was 16. It was my first job, and I cared about it tremendously. My checks were nothing. It was minimum wage. My bosses were awful, and no one I worked with stuck around. So I ended up working shifts by myself all the time. I ended up working two shifts at a time sometimes. And my friends from school yeah. would come in to try on costumes and steal parts of the costumes while I was standing there on shift. And so I would walk out and we would have like, I don't know, a bear costume that was missing its head. And then we'd have another costume that was like missing a belt and things would just go missing all the time. But the store only took up, the actual Halloween city piece only took up so much space. So there were all of these fake walls where they used to have fake living rooms with real furniture set up back there and i would have to go and check every single fake living room every night in the dark with a flashlight to make sure no one was stowing away in the halloween city Mm -hmm. and then i would get to leave and it was literally the worst job ever i was the only one left when they closed up shop and i had to tear the whole thing down kind of fucking psycho stows away in a halloween store overnight like you would be surprised you are crazy there were multiple nights where i had to chase people out of those fake living room setups no way it's like hey kids do you want to go and live in the opening scene from a horror movie it's this when we hide ourselves in a halloween store overnight like it's (laughs) i wouldn't have wanted i didn't even want to do the checks at night i would like get on the phone with a friend because i didn't want to walk around alone by myself at night as a 16 year old girl and there was like some teenage boys sitting in one of them one night like rolling a doobie had their phones plugged into the wall outlets (laughs) like i'm like what are you doing Rolling a doobie or rolling a rug? I don't know. But I mean, all I do know is those of us in the furniture store industry call those fake living rooms vignettes. Oh, uh, and I ew. learned that with my <clears throat> experience. I know. Gross. Every vignette that Caleb ever built has a bottle of Lucerne lotion right there next to it. Okay. <laughs> Marcus, what is your worst experience, man, working? Well, I think I share this with a lot of people. I, I know... First of all, Caleb, when you brought up a diner, I I was thinking that it is a very high chance that there's at least one restaurant on this list between the three of us. And I know that wasn't your worst job, but I'm going to make it two because I was an Apple buddy. Uh, I I worked at Applebee's. I actually I was uh, on the first staff that opened a new Applebee's restaurant. So I got trained by like the actual people from like corporate Applebee's, which is a fucking thing. You're a primary Um, Apple buddy. Yeah, and I'll tell you one thing. All of those kids that traveled around the uh, country and opened um, Applebee's, they all did just mountains of cocaine in between those (laughs) training sessions, and they had way too much energy. Nobody believed them that they liked their job that much, and they would chew the skin off the inside of their own cheek, I'm sure, after hours. But it wouldn't have been as bad. I liked all the people I worked with. I had a manager that was given this store to manage after she had started as a dishwasher and worked her way up through every single occupation that you could have within the restaurant and then took over. So she was a tyrant. And if she ever hears this, which I doubt she will look, Patty, you're not that bad of a person. I liked you. I would sit down and have a beer with you all day, every day. But at work, you were just a monstrous bitch. I mean, she would yell. She would throw things. Like, stuff that you don't get away with 
uh, in a corporate uh-huh. environment ever. Yeah. And I always, get, my thing was, I was just breaking into radio at this time. So I was part-time on a radio show that was really popular in the afternoons. And I would also have to go work at Applebee's before that. So that she would start to, she would start to warn me once the show got really popular and be like, you better not talk about us on that show. Marcus. And be like, oh. I, the only thing that you can guarantee that is going to happen when you say those words to me is that I'm talking about it on the show. Like you just <laughs> bought yourself a segment. Keep talking. Oh, Give me man. enough two for 20s or soup and salads to, to make up for the time I lost at that place. I mean, it was... And I had these cool guys that I worked with. We called each other Bash Brothers, and we would like, Bash Brothers, and we were just, you know, we were friends at work. She put us all on different shifts because she couldn't handle the fact that we were enjoying our days at work. It was was one of those things. Yeah, and so I always had this dream that I was going to break my name tag in half the day I got full-time at the radio and throw it on the ground, but she wasn't there that day, so I had to, like, politely turn my name tag into (laughs) Vic, who I really liked. And then he gave me an appetizer sampler to take to the radio station, which is what you should do. This is why I go to Chili's. Yes. Listen to stories from the road. This is Unplugged. OTR on the 10-4 Network. What's up, everyone, and welcome into Unplugged OTR. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I am your host, Marcus. And as always, joining me is Maria. Maria, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Are you ready for this? I was gonna say another thing because I always feel so sappy when I say this, but um, a mom. You wanted to be a mom. That's yeah. that's so wholesome. Like I don't know that there's a more wholesome answer to that question, but I'm going to ask Caleb the same one. So we'll see because he has a tendency to out wholesome you, Maria. So Caleb, <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? A mom. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, Actually, w- growing up, I wanted to be like a few things, but the two that just stayed the same was always an architect or a pediatrician. But I realized I didn't want to be in school for like 12 years to be a pediatrician. So, um, yeah, this is why I'm doing this now. But Marcus, I bet you like wanted to be like a male stripper or something growing up, didn't you? I don't know what about my personality gives you male stripper vibes, but it's just because it, we don't live in the same city and you haven't seen me in person. You would never say that otherwise. We don't even know if you have legs, Marcus. We don't even know. Oh, yeah, it's true. I bet you guys... Uh, now, Caleb, well, I won't count that as your guess, but if you took your very best guess, I'll tell you right now, you'll never even get close. Maria, do you want to just take a stab in the dark at what you think young little Marcus wanted to be when he grew up? An ice cream man. It's a good guess, but it's wrong. Caleb, you have another one? A gynecologist. <laughs> Caleb wins. No, it's. I think every kid, once they turned about 13 or 14, that was on the list, though, right? <laughs> um, I, for like a long time, like uncomfortably long, uh, was just, I wanted to be a race car. A race car, not yeah, a driver. I want to be a race car. I want to be a race it. car. My mom would say the same thing that you just did, Maria, because you wanted to be a mom growing up and you have that mom brain. You go, Oh no, he's stupid. Marcus, are you sure you don't want to be a race car driver? And I go, no, I want to be a race car. And then I run off and like clip a wall and fall into the street. Eh. Your your mom and I had the same reaction. Oh no, he's stupid. I mean, that's that. I need to meet this lady. <laughs> Sounds lovely. That's your one free one, Caleb. And uh, Ava Bridges is a saint. I'll tell you that much right now. I'm sure. Stopping by to talk to us today is Bill Chrisman. He is a hopper dispatcher for H and M. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bill. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, I understand that this is your second career as a dispatcher. You were a driver before you uh, got into the front office there? Yeah, I started driving in 1990 and then actually went over the road in 91. 
how long did you spend as a driver? Um, up until 2009, I kept my CDL, and or 2011, I'm sorry. And then I moved into another position, and I just dispatching an operation is it just wasn't feasible for me to be able to be office and I had some blood pressure issues so I I let let my CDL lapse and just started staying in the office full time okay and what was your favorite part about being a driver and, and maybe your least favorite part about being a driver since you have all that experience the favorite my favorite part was probably waking up in like Wyoming and having breakfast and then having dinner that night in like Nevada or California that is really cool change of scenery yeah did you have a favorite place in the lower 48 that you got to drive in? Probably going to Fort Bragg, California to load Redwood. Oh, okay. Because it was a little tiny Highway 20 that you took off 101, and it it was like 30 miles long, but it took you about an hour and a half to get there because you're up in the, in the mountains and stuff, and it's really twisty and turny. And then when you when you go into load, you you set and park right on the ocean. You hauled toothpicks, then you hauled lumber. Yes, I I started off as a flatbedder. Oh wow, that very cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And like, not only you hauled lumber, you hauled the lumber. Like redwoods have to be like the exalted ruler of all toothpick hauling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's a great place to load in it. I did a lot of oversized stuff too. As as I got a little older and the company I worked for, yeah, I did a ton of oversized loads. You'd load lumber and stuff like that back. Now, did that maybe contribute to the high blood pressure? Because I feel like that's a little bit more stressful doing uh, oversized stuff. <laughs> it was it was pretty intense, you know, when you first started. And I mean, it's always, it was always intense, but it was just, you're always so aware of what's going on around you. So it was, it was interesting, a lot of fun. I always think those lumber guys, man, they're they're crazy. I feel like you're you're on the side of a mountain and there's no guardrail sometimes. Did you ever have experiences like that? Yeah, when I was really young, uh, coming off Donner Pass out of California and not paying any attention, just, you know, jaw jacking on the radio. And the next thing I know, I look down, I'm going 80 mile an hour. Oh, and it was, wow. yeah, I'm, and it's, yeah, it's a pretty religious experience. It gets pretty, pretty loud, pretty fast with super single tires. And it's, you, you figure yourself out pretty quickly. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. It's nothing like a near death experience to uh, yeah. really find out who you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like you drop off and you can see the lake down the, to your right. It's like, yeah, this is a really, really bad idea. So overall, Bill, speaking of crazy stories, I want to hear your craziest story from the road and then maybe your craziest story from the office hearing from the road. It's kind of off color, but I was a young guy. I was like 1993 and I woke up at 2.33 o'clock in the morning and had to go to the restroom. So I jumped out of my truck and got in between the truck and the trailer and I had locked myself out of the truck. So I had to <gasps> no. walk. Yeah, yeah, I had to walk into a the Sap Brothers where uh, Adventureland is, but I had to walk in there, work boots, a gray sweatshirt, and multicolored boxer shorts to ask for clothes. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Yeah. What was more stressful, that or Donner Pass? <laughs> Legally speaking, probably Donner Pass. I mean, they'll throw you under the jail for driving like that. But yeah, that that actually happened. That's hilarious. Well, I'm glad you made it in and got back into your truck. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Anything that you've heard as a as a dispatcher there that uh, kind of blew you away, stories from the road in the same vein? Uh, yeah, I had a driver call in one time and ask me why we have to back into all these places to unload. And it's like, well, that's where the doors are. <laughs> that's a first. Oh, man. Yeah. A lot of stories here, but uh, <laughs> woo! I hope he was pretty. No, she wasn't. Oh, she, <laughs> she was not. Yeah, oh, no. No. She was frustrated. She was frustrated, but she was, she was a great driver. Oh, <laughs> Bill. So we talked about your favorite part about trucking. What was your least favorite part about being a driver? 
when I first started, the toughest part for me was being gone all the time, you know, because it's, you're, it's, it's a completely different world from anything you're used to. I mean, you're used to maybe a nine to five or an eight to four or whatever. And then whereas you're in Chicago at four o'clock on a Friday, trying to get home for the weekend and you're waiting around, you know, for eight hours to reload, that was, that was a tough one for me. And it, it took about five years to kind of wrap my head around. So it, was, it wasn't such a struggle. Yeah, man, I, I I can't imagine doing that at first and having that experience of being away for mm-hmm. an extended period of time when you really hadn't ever done that before. Right. Besides then the blood pressure, did that also contribute to your decision to become a dispatcher? No, no, not at all. I just, I like being the operations end of things. It was just, it, it opened so much more up that, and gave me a more understanding as to the what and the why of it of, you know, why you do the stuff you do. And it was just, it was really eye-opening and it's helped me, you know, a lot being able to see it from both sides. So would you say now that you're not a driver, do you have more free time than you did when you were on the road? With H&M, I do. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's that's really nice. Yeah. What do you like to do with your free time? I uh, fish. I like to longboard golf. I don't hear that often. <laughs> yeah. I, I asked you a few questions in, in kind of a pre-interview here and that's what you, you said you were an avid downhill longboarder, which yes. sounds different than just saying I like to longboard. So I understand that you have searched out some crazy hills, uh, driving across the country just to ride these hills. Mm-hmm. Um, are you're a bit of a daredevil, aren't you, Bill? I just wouldn't hug much as a kid. <laughs> I like having fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know uh, some people that do downhill longboarding. I've never been brave enough to do it. I The speed wobbles, I have uh-huh. nightmares about the speed wobbles all the time. You know, when you were a kid and those handlebars started to wiggle on the bike and you were past the point of no return. Tell us a few of your stories about longboarding. How'd you get into it? And, you know, best thing you've seen because of it? Worst accident you've had, maybe? How I got into it, I was watching the... Uh, like the unforgettable Walter Mitty. Yeah. And when he rode that hill down in, in Iceland or Greenland, or wherever it was, it just bit something in me. And I was like, you know, I, I want to know what that feels like. And then about that time, uh, Twizzlers came out with that commercial MI2 old the skateboard. Mm-hmm. And I was like 54. Then I was like, I, I can only know one way to find out. So that's, that's what I did. I just got on it, figured it out. I rode a lot of skateboards when I was younger and I just, I'd been away from it for like 30 years. And it's just, it's an absolute blast. It, for me, it just, it shuts everything else off because it's That's just incredible. Yeah. It shuts everything off while you're doing it. So have you piled it up at the bottom of a hill ever, or, uh, you know, any injuries that came from this? Yeah. I've got a multitude of, of bruise pictures. Um, <laughs> skinned up You'll have arms. to share those with us later. Yeah. I've skinned myself up quite a few times. Came, I'm pretty sure I knocked myself out once. Um, oh, I don't know how to stop very well, and I'm <laughs> I'm 56, and so I I don't get up and down as fast as those kids do that make it look really good with it. You know, with your slide gloves and everything grinding. Every time I try that, an arm kicks out or something goes wrong, and I usually end up eating it. I'd be right there with you, and I'm in my yeah. 20s. Yeah, I- <laughs> me too. And those stories about when you don't know if you knocked yourself out, those are always yeah. the best ones. I, I, I grew up a wakeboarder, and there was a couple times when I woke up, felt the sun on my face floating in the water, and thought, how long have I been here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's the fastest you think you've gone? Probably upwards of 30. Okay. Uh, I've got my, my son filmed me coming out of, there's a park in wherever Buffalo Bill is buried, okay. outside of Morrison, Colorado, and I rode out of that park on my longboard. 
it was fun, but it was really segmented. So there would be stretches where he was really cool downhill, and then it was just flat forever with a little uphill. So I rode the last section of it out. And that was, I was probably going pretty close to 30 then, and I wiped out at the end for yard. Oh, <laughs> no. But that's a pretty yeah. impressive speed, though, for a long boy. Yeah. That, well, the, the world record, I think, is like 71 mile an hour. Unreal. How did that person not die? I don't know, but I went and bought all the wheels and bearings that he has, so I'm going to get there eventually. <laughs> you got it, Bill. Okay, yeah. That's the attitude. This is probably my last year gonna that I'm going to do it and try to go hard, so I, I'm, just, okay. I'm ready for it to warm up so I can get back out again. I was going to ask then, where are you planning to go to? Where are you looking forward to go to for your last year of going hard? I really, there's a highway in Arizona. It's 89A, and it's way up okay. in northern Arizona that comes down into New Mexico. And I drove that, I brought a load of lumber out of there back in like 1994. And it's just, it's right on the edge of the Grand Canyon. So that- Oh, that's beautiful up there. That's going to be my mountain to ride down instead of going over to Greenland and doing it like Ben Stiller did. So I think that's probably going to be, that's going to be my jam right there. You'll have to take some pictures and videos for us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's a little easier to get there than Greenland. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And after you do that, uh, make sure and stay in touch with, uh, with Eve over there at H&M, because I would love (laughs) to talk to you after you complete that goal and just get, uh, get a sense of what it feels like now that you're kind of eyeing retirement from it. You know, that's, that's a big hill. So that's, that's a really cool goal. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. My wife is a little apprehensive. But. <laughs> well, what does she know? <laughs> I don't blame her. Oh, Marcus, you hush. So you mentioned your wife, you mentioned your son, um, and a little birdie told me that you raised twins. Yeah, I have oh. uh, boy-girl twins. Very cool. How was that to raise twins? I was on the road a lot, so I, you'd probably have to ask my ex-wife a little more, but the time I got to spend there was a lot of fun. It was just an absolute hoot, and that was the hardest part for me about going over the road was is the, yeah. they were all at home. So I missed out on a lot, but there was a lot of stuff that I got to see that was really cool too. So it was kind of a wash. I'm a twin. So I like, I get the whole growing up at the same age as your sibling and having that experience. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to come home and see them growing up at mm-hmm. the same time. It's so different to raise kids that are the exact same age. Um, so that's really cool. T- tell us a little bit more about your family. My son lives in Carter Lake, it's just right, it's a suburb of Omaha. He's a heavy equipment operator. And my, yeah, my daughter is a, I don't know, a service analyst and bookkeeper for a John Deere dealership over in Iowa. That's not something you hear very often. Um, That's very neat. Mm -hmm. Now, Maria, don't ask him to pick his favorite twin because I know you probably asked your parents once or twice to do that. And so we're not going to put him on the spot either, okay? I'm clearly the favorite twin. (laughs) Clearly. Now, I'm an avid golfer as well, Bill, and uh, I ask every golfer this because I never have. Have you ever hit a hole in one? No. Yeah, me either. (laughs) You hear it in his voice. You hear it in his voice because people. It happens all around you all the time, and it feels like it's a it's something that happens, but it doesn't. Yeah, and when it happens to me, the cars will be full of people that know me, and I'll have to buy beers for everyone. Yep. Yep. God, God hates me, man. (laughs) (laughs) So, talking about parenting, do you have any advice for those who are OTR that are parenting kids right now and aren't able to be home every night? Phone call is great. And it's it, it's a lot easier now because when I started driving, there was no cell phones. And so you're always looking for a phone bank somewhere. 
And then you try to schedule your time because if you're driving, it's hard to stop for 30 minutes, but you want to talk to the kids and the family, you know. And the other thing I did, and I did it usually once a month, is I would send them a postcard from someplace that I was at. Just It was just kind of a random thing, just throw it in the mail. And kind of a funny story, I was in Nevada, and I sent my kids these postcards, and one had a jackalope, and the other one that I sent to my son was these two cartoon ladies with cowboy boots and they're kind of scantily dressed, but they were standing next to this map of Nevada. And what I didn't realize is I, they had all these little stars on it. And what I sent my son was a guide to all the brothels in the state of Nevada <laughs> No, on that postcard. He was seven. Oh man. Yeah, you got to get him wow. started early. He saved it for later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, had to, I had to call my wife and we were going through a divorce at the time. And I said, this was not a dig. I had no idea what this was. I just saw the cartoon ladies and sent it to Cameron. And this is what it is. She got a kick oh out of it. Oh my God. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Postcards are really a lost art. I I grew up yeah. in the, in the 90s, kind of when you were driving. And I, that used to be one of my favorite things to do. I would just send friends of mine postcards from vacations that we were on just mm-hmm. because I, I wanted to show them where we were at. And I've got a massive collection of them somewhere around here. I got to find and thumb through someday because you don't find as many postcards out there on the right. road as you used to. It is a lost art, but Bill, you've seen probably a lot of changes because you've been in the industry for a while. Mm-hmm. How have you seen it change? And do you think it's for the better or for the worst, uh, the trucking industry? But yeah, when I started, you didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. There was no overcom. There was no internet. I mean, it was just, it, it hadn't started yet. So you call in every morning at eight by nine, and then again by four to kind of let them know where you're at, what you're doing, if you're reloaded, blah, blah, blah. The independent side of that was cool because you kind of had to plan your own work. The tough part of that was, is if you get to a load of, picking up a load of lumber or a load of steel coils, I didn't really have a point of reference other than asking somebody that was loading with me to kind of walk me through it and teach me how to do it. I I didn't go to driving school or anything like that. I just got taught how to drive. And it was, that was, but the, the cell phone is kind of hindered a little bit because it takes some of a guy's ability to answer their own questions out of it. But at the same time, things have changed so much and there's so many different rules, it's better to have them call in and ask, as opposed to some ham and eggers, you know, trying to figure something out and just destroying stuff. Ham and eggers, I love that. That's ham and eggers. Yeah. Yeah. Caleb, that's one that you can call me, all right? When, you, when you're upset with okay. me, just call me a damn ham and egger. I love it. I love that, I love that phrase. I'll have to use that. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> so would you say you think it's for the better or for the worse? Like, is the industry headed in the right direction or do you think the opposite? Well, I think it's definitely headed in the right direction. I mean, there's a, there's a lot right. more emphasis on safety. There's somebody you can call 24 hours, no matter where you, it seems you work anymore, that somebody will, somebody's there to help you. And that's that's got to help quite a bit. Or a guy that's frustrated. We have an advisory team for them now that, you know, that they can call outside to get help with an issue and, and that can come back to us. I mean, it's it's a ton better than it was. Guys yeah. have a little more say in stuff in, in what they do. Talk, talk to us about H&M and like who they have all available to call after hours, because I didn't realize that was a thing that H&M offered. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got it's some I don't know the name of it. it's a kind of a new driver advisory board that they, they can call and ask for help. If they have an issue like a dispatcher or with a load or with H&M in general and they want to talk to somebody, they've got somebody they can turn to and, and they'll work as a third party, I guess, on behalf of H&M to kind of help smooth the waters. You get a different person's perspective to kind of come in and, and hash it out. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, it's very nice. 
Do you feel yeah. like that would have benefited you uh, in, in when you were driving? To a degree. I always pretty much stayed with the same people where I worked, so I never really had any issues like that. But yeah, I guess as an outsider looking in, you'd want as many opportunities, you know, for help or a voice that you could get. And it's, you don't see that anywhere or everywhere. And that's, that's a pretty cool thing. For sure. Let's say, Bill, a trucker really wants to get off the road, but wants to stay in the industry and in the trucking industry. Why should they become a dispatcher then? You have some experience that you can relay to other people in the office that maybe don't know quite what's going on or, or give them your perspective, your viewpoint after having been out there. With me, it helps, you know, some of the drivers because they understand that I've, I've got the same perspective that they do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have a friend that works in uh, in preventative maintenance and does a lot of, of large construction jobs, keeping mills from falling apart. And one thing that he always says is the engineers are smart. They know all the math. They are always Johnny on the spot. But when they give us the plans, they don't necessarily get it because they weren't standing here looking at it when they came up with these plans. And I feel mm -hmm. like that has a lot of kind of relation to what you just said. Being a driver right. coming to dispatch, you have so much experience to draw from uh, to help solve problems or or deal with issues that it, it's, I feel like you're, a, you're at a big advantage knowing what's actually going on out there. Right. I mean, it, it helps. I mean, there's um, people in there that's got tons more like hopper experience than I do. Because I, I, when I came over, I came from the beef industry, so it's completely different, but it's kind of the same because it's still kind of protein-based. <laughs> the chickens are ground up as opposed to frozen. <laughs> that means you can put them in a nugget, which is one of Caleb's favorite things. So we love nuggets. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Bill, we got to thank you so much for being here today you on bet. Unplugged OTR. We would love to talk to you again about whatever other crazy stories you have, uh, whether it's going 80 and over the Donner Pass or something else. So That was a horrible um, mistake. That was just dumb. <laughs> Well, you got a good story out of it, and now you can go make some really fun memories longboarding, okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it was interesting to hear Bill talk about how he went from trucking to dispatching, but, I mean, I know a lot of truckers who have gone from one job to the trucking industry, and I feel like that's pretty common. I knew someone who was a chef and then became a trucker or someone who worked in a factory before becoming a trucker, or another common one that I, I read a lot about is an empty nester who did something totally different and they're just alone and so they become a trucker because why not? Do you know any former rug boys that became truckers? <laughs> no, not yet. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe that's going to happen with me. Who knows what's going to happen? But um, if this is you, if you're a rug boy and you became a trucker, or if you're just a second career trucker, you say hi.chat slash OTR to tell us your stories about becoming a trucker after doing something totally different. And let us know where you get your lotion. True. And what kind of lotion you use. We're interested. Oh, I just know gosh. that that word is what I use to just cancel Caleb's microphone for two seconds today. All I have to say is lotion, <laughs> and he can't take it for a second. Oh, gosh. This is so sad. Oh, no. Uh, but it's not just truckers, though. So if you're considering a career change to trucking or to something else, a lot of people do it, and that's okay. And I came prepared with stats today because... Who would I be if I didn't have stats? I don't know. Not Professor so, Pickle Park, that's for sure. I know, I know. So class is in session again, folks. According to Zipia.com, the average American worker has 12 jobs throughout a lifetime. Um, and with side hustles starting right now, that stat is projected to increase even more. Marcus, Maria, have you had more than 12 jobs in your life? No, 
I don't think so. I think I'm about eight. Yeah, I feel like that's somewhere in the neighborhood where I'm at, too. It depends, man, because there's some things where, like, if I only worked there for a summer and I didn't even make it the whole summer, like, in school, I, I don't even count them. You know, I kind of just like, eh, yeah, let's not call that hey. a job. Let's call that wasted time. But you're on track to hit that average of 12, I feel like, because you're both pretty young, I'd say. So well, you're, on you're track my boss, to so I think you have more to say about that than I do right at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Marcus, you're fired for bringing up lotion once again. No. <laughs> um, but what percentage of Americans do you think are searching for a new full-time job right now? Because this really surprised me. I would say it's pretty low because I don't think a lot of people are looking for... I think people want to create their own positions and just kind of hustle. And I'm going to say the opposite of that. I think it's high because people's uh, people realized what was going on during COVID and that they didn't all need to be locked into an office chair all day every yeah. day. And so I think a lot of people started looking for remote work. So I'm going to say it's a high number, let's say 35%. Man, you think that's high? Okay, so this is crazy. But Zipia.com, which is an recru a recruiting website for jobs, they estimate that 65% of Americans are looking for a new full-time job right now. That's well over of one of every two Americans looking for a, full, a better full-time job to be in, um, wow. which just is crazy to think about so maybe if you're in a full-time job and you're looking for a different job you're not alone because obviously a lot of americans are feeling the same way that you are not yeah, every industry is oh sorry i was just closing out these indeed tabs but i was also going to say that yeah i think that <laughs> it's it's a part of the culture that we live in now is it it's one of those things where if you don't appreciate me, I'm going to go elsewhere because there's a lot of yeah. open jobs out there right now, thanks to COVID as well. And, and for you know, sure, all these industries kind of recovering years down the road. And speaking of age, I mean, my generation, Generation Z and then millennials are much more likely to job hop. It's not even close to the older generations. But it's funny because not every industry is created equal because those in transportation, so that includes trekkers, switch companies or jobs every 4.3 years, while those in sectors such as the federal government switch every 8.2 years, which I think we can thank all the old politicians, not to name names for that one, but they've probably increased that one single-handedly. Yeah, I would like to see them decrease the amount of time that they can hold those jobs and start to mm -hmm. give them to some younger people. Just because I, I feel like, you know, anybody making a decision for a bunch of 20-year-olds that's 85 obviously doesn't get it. That's, that's my grandstanding I'm going to do for the day. Okay, race car boy, <laughs> Marcus and Maria, I have one more little tidbit for you. How many hours in a lifetime do you think the average American works? Oh, the average American. I was going to say me a lot. Uh, the average American, I don't know. I feel like I feel like people work more now doing side hustle -y type things. So I don't really have a number. That's a hard one to guess. What do you think, Marcus? In their lifetime. What do you think, Marcus? That's a lot. I'm going to use... A 2,000 hour a year workload, which I think is probably a little bit less than uh, what we're looking at here, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, something like that. But yeah, let's say 2,000, and I'm thinking most careers are lasting between 30 and 40 years. So um, I'll say 80,000 hours. You're not, you're not that far off, Marcus, but this is based off a 50-year career, and it's 90,000 hours. Uh, which equates to 13 years and two months of your entire lifetime you spend working. So, uh, yeah, that's exciting. Yep, that's but, why you always oops. poop on the company dime if you can. If you can wait. I love exactly. that. Yep. Every time. Exactly. Save your poops yep. for company and, time. 
and lotion up on company time. But if you just look at <laughs> the hours truckers work in their lifetime, because truckers work a ton more hours than the average American works. And there's no stat out there, but you know, I had to do the math to figure it out myself. So I hate math. I I love math, so I can't relate to that, but Math is gross. I don't want to do math. Well, I did it for you, Maria, so don't worry. I'm just going to use words like a lot or a little. Okay. Mm. Well, let's say a trucker who drives for 50 years OTR, which is a really long time. Many truckers don't do that, but they work for 50 years. Let's say that. The amount of hours that they would work in their lifetime is roughly 150,000 hours. Obviously, though, not every trucker is going to work 50 years, but truck drivers basically work an average of Americans life in 36 years it's like dog years like dog years and human years it feels like Ew. that's crazy that's a lot of hours I mean I really hate to look at it like that because then you start to think yeah. about well what else takes up that much of my time and sleep is the only thing and then yeah. you're left with like one third of your life to do what you yeah. want to do I know and be that race car Marcus it's tough man that's really scary to think about yeah I gotta think about today I can't think about that far out. Well, we know one thing that won't prevent me from being a race car, Caleb, is dry, cracked skin. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Don't get that dry, cracked skin, Marcus. But when you do the math, truckers deserve to be paid more, even based on that stat alone. But it's enough learning from Professor Pickle Park today. Oh, we're done with class? Uh, yeah, class is dismissed, folks. That's awesome. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. But I, I, all jokes aside, I think it's good to talk about this type of stuff because a lot of people don't have the awareness of what's really going on. It's like you, you give a lot of your life to these companies. You want to make sure that you have a job that you don't hate because if it ruins the time that you spend at it and it also ruins the time that you spend away from it, what are you doing? It's just a paycheck at that point. You can go find that someplace else. You can stand behind the counter yeah. to Dairy Queen and serve Maria uh, blizzards for the rest of your career and, and probably be more fulfilled, you know? Yeah, and see her sweet smile every single day because she is made of blizzards. Best part of my day when I hear the party horn ring, and that means that uh, class with Professor Pickle Park is over. Thank you so much, Caleb. I appreciate the work, but I am happy to be headed to recess. And no homework today, kids. Don't worry. I wasn't going to do it anyway. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Unplugged OTR. Remember to tell us your stories at sayhi.chat forward slash OTR. Again, that's sayhi.chat forward slash OTR or find us on social media channels. If you want to hear more about driving jobs at H&M, find them at hmtrucking.com or on Facebook. Tune in next time and keep the shiny side up, drivers.